0: A reading from Isaiah see my servant shall prosper he shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high just as there were many who were astonished by at him so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals so he shall startle many nations kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which had not been told them they shall see and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that he was led to slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, you shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord.
1: A reading from Hebrews. The Holy Spirit testifies saying, this is the covenant that I make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The Spirit also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord.
2: the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. And then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. And then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he'd said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? And then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jewish leaders replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. And then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he'd said this, he went out to the Jewish leaders again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. And then Jesus, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jewish leaders answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he is claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. And then he handed him over to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus. And carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha.
3: There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and a disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who also saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, Though a secret one, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the pieces in linen cloth with the spices according to the burial customs of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there.
2: Please be seated. To start, we have such a skewed perspective about what happened that Friday. <clears throat> We've seen pictures of all, and movie and TVs that are often theological pictures and not historical ones. Crosses were for the Romans billboards. They were advertisements designed to tell everybody coming and going into a town what happened when you resisted the empire. So when you hear that Barabbas was abandoned, he was an insurrectionist. When you hear that they were thieves crucified next to Jesus, that's a poor translation. They had committed treason. Thieves lost their thumb or their hand. They did not lose their lives. Crucified men and women were placed right outside of city gates. And that's because in the ancient world, few people lived in the city proper. They lived in the fields. They came in and out to conduct business and trade. And on their way in and out, they saw the strongest advertisement of their day crucified men and women. Men and women did not carry their own cross like the shape of a lowercase t that we often see and depict. Rather, right outside the city gates were poles, something like a telephone pole about six feet tall with a notch cut out of the middle. Crucified men and women carried a two by four. And when they got outside of the gate, their clothes stripped off so that they could be humiliated, especially as Jewish people. Roman soldiers would tie them in whatever way they fancied to this two by four and simply pick it up and set it down. There were no ladders, There were no pulleys or levers or intricate machines. Simple cruelty was all that it took. The victim's feet were therefore also tied up, and as many of you know, there were two ways to die on the cross, the first being asphyxiation or suffocation, because the body doesn't have enough room for the lungs to expand unless it pulls up. And so this process of crucifixion leading to suffocation could take Not just hours, but days. The other way was by shock, which is apparently what happened to Jesus because within a few hours he had died. His system had overloaded. When you read in the other Gospels that they offered Jesus myrrh mixed with wine as a mild sedative, it was not because they were humane. It was to prevent him from going into shock so that his death could take much longer. Of course, the thing that we most often miss is that people were crucified inches off the ground, not yards. So that when you hear in the reading that the Pharisees struck him in the face and spat on him and hurled insults at them, they did that face to face. In the Good Friday of my youth, we heard this sort of thing so that we could be provoked to feeling guilty and ashamed and afraid of God. And friends, if we hear it that way, we've missed the story. This is a story about the lengths God has gone to be with us. This is a story that we call good now, but the earliest Christians took a long time to call it that. The earliest Christians called today Black Friday. They didn't know Easter was coming. They didn't just figure it out within a week of Easter either. you, You can read the stories, the disciples, the women are terrified and afraid to see the resurrected Jesus. It took time. No doubt you have friends in your life who have had moments of their own Black Friday. Maybe you've had your own. I've had friends who have said, you know, when I got diagnosed with cancer, I really learned how to live. So good came out of it. But the day of the diagnosis was not Good Friday. It was black. Today is Black Friday. Today is the day in which relationships were lost and broken. Today is the day in which children are abused. Today is the day in which people suffer in the throes of addiction. Today is the day that God has decided how to answer that. If you're like me, you usually wish God had a different answer to make it just go away. Today is the day where God sees us in moments of loss and tragedy and terror and decides today to empathize with us and to suffer with us, so that in those moments on our own Black Fridays, where we wonder where God is, and are we alone, and have we been abandoned, today God beckons us to find Jesus on the cross right next to us, in our Black Fridays. We know, because we've heard this story before, that in two days we'll hear that that's not all God decided to do. God decided that there could be new life after this, but today God has decided to suffer with us. Today is also a day where it is all too easy to forget that Jesus was not the only one ever or since who has been subjected to Black Friday by authorities. My friend, Rear Admiral Ed Martin, spent six years in Black Friday. The other name was called the Hanoi Hilton. And there he was tortured every single day, along with John McCain. The list goes on, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who spent a year being tortured to death by Nazis in the Prinzengracht prison in Berlin. These are realities that continue to today. The reality is that Black Friday asks us to consider, to remember, to resist. And because of the depths of the day, is so grievous and black and so deep, we're offered nourishment from Christ's life. Nourishment to not skip from Friday to Easter so quickly. We rarely take time in our lives to grieve and to hurt. We usually want to say we know how it ends. All's well that ends well. It'll be okay. Today it is not. Today it is black. Today we're asked, who are we in the story? The disciples who ran away? The Jewish leaders who asked for his life. Pontius Pilate, who though in authority was indifferent. Passerbys on the street or people who knew the tragedy and sat and mourned at the feet of the cross. And today we're offered nourishment for our Black Friday. The Black Fridays we have lived. The Black Fridays we will live. Today we're offered the life of Christ precisely at our own moments of weakness. And just for a bit, I think the church in all its wisdom asks us not to skip to Easter, but to stay here. To stay here with Jesus in agony, to join Him tomorrow as He lies dead and still in the tomb And only then to be surprised that God could bring new life from that on Easter morning. In just a few moments, I'll invite you to the rail to be nourished for your Fridays.